And we get asked this question multiple times per day. How's the market? What's going on? And it is so specific today to what type of asset class, what kind of business plan, not just what city, what neighborhood, what type of building. Hey there, I am Dr. Jason Ballara, and this is the Know Your Why podcast, where we explore the why behind success. Every week, I meet with real estate investors, veterinary entrepreneurs, mindset coaches, authors, and fitness professionals to uncover their why and how it drives them on the winding road to success. What is your why? Hi, everyone. I'm Jason Ballara, and this is the Know Your Why podcast. Today, I'm here with James Nelson. James is a highly acclaimed investment sales broker and is the principal and head of Avison's Young I might be mispronouncing that, James, I'm sorry, uh, Tri-State Investment Sales Group in New York City. Um, during his 25-year career, he has sold properties and loans totaling over $5 billion. So first, let me just say thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you for taking the time out to come and talk to me. Jason, thank you for having me. And I love the title of your show and what you're doing for the investment community. So really happy to be a part of this today. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. Why don't we just start by having you tell the listeners your story, uh, let us hear your background, and then um, we'll kind of dive in from there. Sure. So probably similar to a lot of your listeners who are maybe thinking of getting into real estate, I had no experience graduating college. I didn't even know what real estate was. Uh, all my friends had investment banking jobs, and I thought maybe I was going to come out your way out to the West Coast to make movies until I realized that no one was paying me to do that and $5,000 in credit card debt. So I said, I better go get a real job. And as luck would have it, there was a job posting for uh, a commercial brokerage firm. And again, I didn't really even understand how that all worked, uh, but it was founded by, uh, co-founded by a Colgate alum where I went to school. And I went there and I just had a great immediate gut feeling. And so I think there's a, a great lesson in there for your listeners to have incredible mentors because that's really how I learned. And so I ended up building my brokerage career with them over 17 years. Uh, we ended up selling to Cushman and Wakefield. And at that time we were selling almost four times the amount of properties as the next brokerage firm in New York City. Imagine that as a small boutique firm. Had three great Amazing. years at Cushman, and now I've been at Avis and Young, we're a Canadian company. Your, your, your pronunciation was was spot on, and we now have 120 offices around the world. We're a full service uh, company, but my focus is investment sales uh, here in New York City, all asset classes. But what I'm really passionate about is helping others find success and how to gain the insider's edge to real estate investing. Fantastic, fantastic. So. I mean, you got into to brokerage sales with with no experience there. You just kind of went went right for it, which sounds daunting. How did that look for you in the beginning? How did you kind of learn the business? Well, even though it was early on in uh, that company's growth, uh, they already had an incredible business model. They used a territory system. So we covered New York City neighborhood by neighborhood. And so what I found was that by studying an area, and there's a great lesson in there for your listeners when you invest to really take the time to study an area, to do the research, to do the work. Because what I found was after studying a neighborhood, they, they told me, James, before you pick up the phone, 
you need to really canvas this neighborhood. It was Chelsea um, in, in Manhattan, that neighborhood. And so going block by block, researching all the sales, leasing, zoning, all the new companies coming to the area. And after three months, I knew more about that area pretty much than any other investor out there or certainly any other broker uh, in the area. So I think having that knowledge base was very helpful. Now, I still had a ton to learn about how brokerage worked, how investing worked, but really good to start off with that platform. Yeah, and it, it's a it is a great point that, you know, r real estate's hyper local. So it's, you know, you could say New York City, but that that doesn't narrow it down nearly enough. And it's the same, you know, kind of we go to <clears throat> with our investing, you know, pe people going to different markets and it's you can say New York City, you can say Atlanta, you can say Los Angeles, but it's it that really doesn't speak to just how specific each neighborhood might be in terms of um, valuations and, and how investors see it and that sort of thing. As you did this and you, you sort of learned that location, what what steps did you take? Because I think, you know, that's this is you, you're helping people learn to invest what steps did you take to sort of get familiar with the market, but then decide, you know, kind of where the best opportunities were? Right. Yeah. So first of all, just doing the research and now there's so many tools online to learn the comps and obviously local trade publications, events, uh, but really to gain that insider's edge, it's really finding out who are the professionals in that area. So investment sales brokers are a wealth of knowledge to understand a market and what are the drivers. And certainly if your business plan is to lease up a property, reposition it, you're going to want to make sure and speak to leasing brokers as well to get a handle on the market. Obviously comps are rear view mirror indicators. And what you really want to understand is what's going on now. And more importantly, uh, where the market's going. That's one of my favorite quotes is the Wayne Gretzky skate to where the puck is going. That's really to be a great investor. You need to uh, really be forward thinking. Yeah. Yeah. What was, I get, well, I guess one of my big questions here, and, and I guess I'll throw it out now is, is, you know, New York city. So I, I live in Los Angeles. People talk about these places. A lot of investors talk about these places as, you know, kind of uh, places to stay away from. Don't, don't invest in, in the Northeast. Don't invest in Los Angeles, you know, that kind of thing. It It's a different type of market, but it doesn't mean you can't be successful what do you find sort of unique to New York City? What are some of the the you know pros to investing there? Some of the cons? I, I I think people take these sort of big picture ideas of oh you can't you can't make money there and and it's obviously not true, but it's maybe in a different way. How how do you look at it as you know being someone familiar with New York City? Jason, it's a great question. And first of all, and we get asked this question multiple times per day. How's the market? What's going on? And it is so specific today to what type of asset class, what kind of business plan, not just what city, what neighborhood, what type of building. So, but with that being said, kind of more macro, uh, and there certainly has been, uh, many investors have taken that shift to say, look, I want to go invest in a more pro-business state. So, New York, uh, California have this reputation, difficult place to do business, certainly with multifamily, with uh, the regulation uh, that, that's in place. 
And so I think, first of all, you need to understand the landscape. It's very important to know the, the um, landscape of what you're investing into so you know the rules and what you can and can't do. So that's that's important. But if there are restrictions or things that you can't do, uh, you need to be compensated for them. So just to give an example, in New York in 2019, uh, there was a bill passed that took our rent-regulated housing, which you used to be able to vacate, improve, decontrol, and charge a fair market rent. And the city said, okay, from now on, the, these units are staying rent-regulated permanently. So, uh, and we could have a discussion of why that was a good idea or not, but I think from the investor's standpoint, certainly those who were holding the properties before, that was a serious impediment to many of their business plans. But moving forward, needless to say, investors needed to be compensated for the fact that they no longer had that upside potential. So mm -hmm. even before interest rates started going up last year, I mean, right after 2019, we saw our cap rates uh, go up by, in some cases, 200, 250 basis points almost overnight. So look, the fact that you can gain a five and a half, six percent return in New York City for the first 20 plus years of my career, we didn't talk about anything. Uh, we didn't even know what a five and six cap were. We, we did twos and threes and yeah. maybe a low four. So the entire paradigm shifted. So I do think that uh, you can't just say this is a good market. This is a bad market. I just think it's making sure you understand the ground rules and then you're compensated based on what the challenges might be. So that that's that's very specific to the investment. But why would someone still want to be bullish on New York? Why would someone want to be bullish still on LA? What we found is that even though the return to office, maybe it hasn't been what we have all hoped for. I mean, office use has evolved. But you go out in the streets and here in New York, tourism is almost back up to pre-COVID levels. Our retail is thriving. Uh, the residential rents that are fair market, those rents last year went up over 9%. So people want to live here and they want to be a part of the city, the community. And I know that's the case in L.A. So even if they're maybe not be they might not be showing up to the office every day they still want to be here. So I think job growth and really uh, population growth and thinking where people want to be, that's certainly important to consider. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I think that if, you know, there, there are events, you know, obviously that, you know, COVID was a, was a, an, a big, uh, had a big impact on, on cities and office and all of that. But the, at the end of the day, as you said, like, people want to live in these places not just because of an office building like that's the not the only reason people live in new york city or los angeles like it's not <laughs> i i grew up in boston like i never thought to myself oh, i like i love this city because of the office buildings like it's just not <laughs> how it, it's not generally how people think of it i think the the, the business migration sure maybe in some instances it makes sense for some of those businesses but i think a lot of times that might be a little bit um 
and sort of overstated. Uh, as you said, you, people are, you're seeing people there. It doesn't, you know, I, I feel the same way in Los Angeles, all the talk about people leaving, but it's like, I don't feel any, it doesn't feel any less crowded or any, you know, like there's any relief in the traffic or anything right. like that. So it's, it's an interesting, um, I guess, perspective from, from within and, and from the outside. Um, so, you know, you, you mentioned investors have to be compensated for these, the, these change, the changing landscapes and, uh, you know, sort of those regulations, obviously the people who had bought at a, you know, three cap and it shifts to a five, that's potentially a big challenge for them. What do you, and, and, and we're seeing this kind of everywhere right now because of interest rates, but what do you think, you know, kind of that means for the future, uh, you know, kind of going forward? Do you think New York City stays at that level, you know, as far as cap rates, or do you think that that'll compress again in the future? What What's your, I know you can't <laughs> predict sure. the future, but what, well, what are your thoughts? Yeah, and and I, I would certainly like to get your, your thoughts on the, the topic as well. We're all trying to solve for this. But what I would say is thinking back to say 2006, 2007, when the rates were similar, right? You were out borrowing money in the sixes, right? But back then investors were okay to buy into a deal at a 3% because they really believed in the upside potential, right? So mm -hmm. obviously there's two major levers for valuation. One is cap rate and the other is your NOI growth. And so uh, today investors, because obviously 2006, 2007, fast forward to 2009, that didn't work out so great. So now I think investors are saying, okay, I'm not taking on negative leverage. I wanna be neutral. So is there a direct correlation with cap rates and interest rates? They track pretty closely now, but I think to be a great investor, what you really need to be focused on is what is the upside potential? How can you add value? And that's a lot of what I talk about in my book is how to be creative, how to add value. Uh, one, one more quick uh, commercial for New York, because maybe I didn't do a, a good enough job selling it. But I will say that there is tremendous potential where we see in some cases take retail in Soho, Fifth Avenue, Madison Avenue. At one point in Soho, retail rents went up to $1,000 a foot. After COVID, they came crashing down to 150, right? And now they're back up around 300, right? So if you're a savvy investor who was able to get in at the bottom at 150, that correction at now a 5%, 5.5% return as opposed to a 3%. And I'm not sitting here saying that retail rents will go back to $1,000 a foot. Maybe they will one day. But that's really how you move the needle as opposed to just hoping for cap rate uh, or I interest rate compression. Right. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think it's it's... I guess it's all about your time horizon, right? We're, when we're talking about commercial real estate, we're not we're not typically talking about a, a short term hold. We that sort of happened because cap rates compressed so much, you know, almost throughout all markets. But the idea when you when you purchase commercial real estate is not to hold it for, you know, a year or two years. It's to hold it for three, five, seven, ten, maybe maybe even longer in terms. And so. Yeah, there might there might be a moment in time where things jump up or or jump down, and but if you're 
in a position to hold and ride through it like that's that's kind of the idea and and i think what it seemed like is maybe people got away from that and same thing happened you know with the residential real estate in 2007 2008 like people got away from looking at what the fundamentals were and they're like oh my house doubled in value this year and it's like that's not normal and probably what happened in commercial real estate wasn't normal over the last you know three four five years but at the end of the day you, you just have to you know sort of roll with that and and as you said take the opportunities as they come so someone who saw that you know kind of that lease rate drop so much and said hey look at some point it's going to come back up they're looking really smart right now and and it's the same thing in in uh you know kind of any sort of real estate if if you can buy these buy during these you know panic times the corrections that sort of thing that that's actually one really good way to move the needle the other is as you said that sort of really value add strategy finding the ways to improve the property uh without having to be reliant on anything related to cap rate or or interest rate or any of that you're just actually making your uh, asset better in I want to ask you, you know, so what, what is your, some of your strategies? Um, obviously people can check out your book and book, like maybe some of the things that you uh, recommend as far as uh, that you know, sort of value add strategy. Yeah. So I think uh, first of all, it's great to have a thesis, right? So, and, 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 a, and a, a niche, right? And Jason, I think what makes you an incredible investor, and I've seen what you've done, and to focus in on that medical veterinarian space that you have that, that history with, you probably know a lot more about that sector of the market than most of the generalist investors, right? So I think, first of all, understanding the asset class understanding the neighborhoods where you're looking, understanding where it makes sense to do something. There's no substitute for that. And that's just hard work, right? That's that, you know, when I told you when I first started my business, just taking three months to walk the blocks, research the sales, get a feel for the neighborhood. So I don't think there's any shortcuts for that. But I do think it is having that understanding of how a neighborhood is evolving and what it's looking for, right? So one of the examples I use when I go out and speak at schools is, uh, for example, here in New York, up in the Bronx, uh, they're opening up four new subway stations, right? So these are areas of the Bronx right now that it's a two fare ride. It could take you 45 minutes an hour to get into Midtown. Once these subway stations open up, you'll be in Midtown in 25, 30 minutes. So what do you think is going to happen to those areas once they become more accessible? What do you think yeah. is going to happen to retail? What do you think is going to happen to multifamily values? So those are the kind of things. And then understanding, well, how do I deliver the product that people want? Right. And so not over improving, right. You want to, you know, certainly be uh, achieving the maximum potential uh, for that area, but you don't want to go above and beyond. Uh, so that's just, really understanding what the market wants and uh, how to make sure that you're properly positioned. But I think that, you know, the, the real value add and opportunities come when you see something that someone else doesn't. And I was very 
lucky that my first investment ever as a broker, I had a great client who said, James, I found this, this old rundown mixed use property. I bought it off market. Do you think you can flip the contract? And I did after, after two or three weeks, we had offers of over a half a million dollars more. So I knew he was getting it at a great deal. And he said, you know, James, thank you, but I think I'm just going to go ahead and buy this property. And I said, well, do you think I can invest with you? He says, well, turns out I'm, I'm looking for investors and I became his first investor ever. And fast forward, you know, I saw him last week, we've been investing together for over 20 years, but what he saw in this old rundown walk-up building was an opportunity to reposition this as a boutique condo, right? And at the time, no one was doing this, but this happened to be in Greenwich Village, very uh, desirable area, and ended up selling, bought the property for a million nine, sold the condos above for over $5 million. Obviously, there was cost to renovate and do that, and we ended yeah. up keeping the retail. Once we were able to put a restaurant in that space, we ended up selling it five years later for four and a half million dollars. So the base of the building ended up being worth more than double what we paid for the entire property. Yeah. So again, Matt Blesso, who was the developer who did this, saw something that no one else did. So for this seller, it was just a rundown property with which was a pain, and he saw this as an opportunity to reposition this as a boutique condo. Yeah, yeah, I, I guess. It really comes down to vision, right? It's like what what do you what do you see in it that that someone else doesn't? What are, what can you make of this? You know, building what what can you make? You know, knowing as you said, you know, sort of studying the area, knowing that that those subway stops are coming in, like that's going to make a huge difference for values in that area. So it's kind of like being able to be have firsthand knowledge, you know, kind of, of, of what's going on in your, in your market, what you're looking at, kind of all of that. <laughs> so I, I think that that all makes a lot of sense. What do you, what do you do to sort of build a team around your investment thesis, your sales, that kind of thing? How do you keep, uh, how do you keep that all running? Cause I know there's a lot to deal with. Yeah. So one of so I have a podcast as well, and one of the first interviews that I ever gave was with this legendary developer Bruce Ratner here in the city. And I kept asking Bruce, "What's the secret to your success? How do you do it?" And he just kept talking about the team and uh, the the people and the specialists, the people who had that incredible knowledge. And so this is a business about the the people, right? And who can help you achieve that vision. So early on in the book, I talk about who is on your deal team, right? And it, it is uh, a group of professionals who specialize, right? So don't just go to your, you know, your family's uh, trust and estate attorney to do a real estate deal, right? You want a transactional real estate attorney. If you need advice on how to structure a lease, you're going to a, a landlord tenant attorney. If you want zoning advice, you go to a zoning attorney. So again, having the right people who understand the opportunities that might not exist, uh, sure, you're going to have to pay for those professionals, but the ones who give you really good value, you're going to get an incredible return on that investment. Yeah, absolutely agree. I think it's, it is, you know, growing a business within commercial real estate, like it's, it's an impossible thing to do it all on your own. And so that team becomes 
so incredibly important that you know the people that you have around you and and have their own specialties that they can you know sort of grow or help grow within the business um james let me shift gears here i want to get to ask you the questions i ask every guest um first one of course is is based on the name of the show being know your why and and i always like to ask every guest what is your why what what drives you towards success you've already obviously had a lot of it um what kind of keeps you going and keeps you motivated i just i love the business i'm passionate about it so you know you've probably heard many people say that it's not work when you love what you do and it really is to show up every day and meet incredible people and learn new things every day if if every day was the exact same then that there's no way that this is even though I'm a sales broker it's it's not just about the transaction and so that's the part that I really enjoy about the business I also love the team aspect of it so I love working with the group we meet here every morning we talk about what we're working on and then I really enjoy uh giving back and introducing other people to this incredible business and so that was a big impetus for the book. For 20 plus years, people had asked me, James, what's the book? How do you learn how to do this? And I said, well, got to write the book. So, and what's really rewarding is to hear the feedback from people, new uh, aspiring investors, even veteran investors as well to say, James, this book is so helpful. I've even had some master's students tell me, James, I wish I had this before I went to school because it just explains how this all works. So that that's been really gratifying and if we can continue to uh, make people aware of how incredible this business is and all the benefits i think that's uh, certainly a big part of my why yeah yeah i love that i think uh it, being able to kind of spread the message and of course you know having a, having a book out there is going to really help a lot of people um just you know sort of learn what's possible within the space so i think that's fantastic um, James, tell us something about yourself that uh, isn't common knowledge, special skill, a hobby, um, anything that you're comfortable sharing, uh, just to let listeners know you better. Well, I, I don't know if it's a big secret anymore, because that, as I post and uh, family uh, trips, uh, events, but all three of my kids play water polo which oh. you're out in California, so you know how big of a deal it is. But to be in Connecticut, you know, it's not really a big East Coast thing, yeah. but we're all in as a family. Uh, in fact, my oldest son is now a freshman at USC playing there. So uh, I'm Jason, I've been making a lot more trips out, out your way. <laughs> so, say, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and I've even tried it myself. I was a swimmer in college and so I figured, well, if they're doing this, I might as well jump in the water and try it. Uh, let, let me tell you all, it, it is a lot harder <laughs> than it looks. So, but uh, also a, a, a lot of fun and going back to that team aspect. And I've just, I've seen what my kids have gotten out of it and it's unbelievable. I, I mean, I think it looks incredible. I, I love watching water polo on, I've never played, but I love watching it with the, on, on the Olympics. And I don't know that I have seen a sport that looks more challenging just like the the level of you know sort of exertion and uh you know it's like <laughs> treading water and and wrestling at the same yes. time and also trying to you know have precision with the ball i i actually think it's it's phenomenally entertaining and kind of blows me away that the 
the skill level that must go into that. I, I, I haven't been a swimmer for a long time, but I do, when I was young, I did. And I, and, and it's just like, there's a lot of work that goes into just staying there and doing that with other people trying to drag you down, I think is incredibly challenging. So that's, that's amazing. Um, when people hear this and they want to reach out to you, what's the best way? Great. So I built jamesnelson.com to inspire people to go out and invest. And so on it, you can find out about my book, my podcast. I also put out a lot of content, uh, write an article, a column for Forbes and Real Estate Weekly, uh, and then connect with me at James Nelson NYC, uh, responsive on LinkedIn and Instagram and Twitter. And yeah, I, I want to be a resource for people. So thank you for asking. Sure. And we'll put that stuff in the show notes too, so uh, people can find you easily. Um, what piece of advice would you give to someone who wants to get started in in real estate? You know, they're, they're here, your story, they're inspired. Um, yeah. What would you tell them? Go out and get the book. But also here's, <laughs> here's another thing. Yeah. So this probably isn't the first time someone said this on your show, but I think having a great mentor is really important. And I was just so fortunate that I learned from the best, but I'm going to make a little twist to that because I think a lot of people might just think of mentors as a one-way street, meaning, you know, what can I learn from this person? And it is so important, especially when you're starting out to make sure it's a two-way street and reciprocate. In fact, if you are working with someone who is mentoring you, you should be thinking how can I add value to this person, right? How, how can I, you know, whether it's keeping, you know, looking out for them, maybe putting in some hours. Uh, I think that's really important. So yes, having great mentors, but also making sure that it's not just a one-way street. Yeah, completely agree. And, and other people have mentioned on the show, but I have mentioned it, especially I feel I've been fortunate to have great mentors. And so I, it's, it's a big part of, you know, kind of, kind of my message. And I, I completely agree. I think it's a, I think it's a hard thing to do sometimes to, to um, make sure that you're providing value to them. And it, and it takes a lot more um, thought and sort of introspection and to see how, how you can, because I think, you know, we tend to see those mentors as, and they are, they're like, usually ultra successful people. And you're kind of looking at it like, oh, how could I help them? But I think that uh, what I have asked that question, I've been told before, you know, ask what, what do you, what do you need? What are your pain points? Um, but don't, don't just say, how do I provide value? You know, like try and find ways around it. So I think, uh, yeah, mentorship is, is incredibly important. Um, well, James, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for, for coming and sharing your story. Uh, I think, uh, people are going to get a lot out of this episode. I appreciate you taking the time out today. Jason, it was my pleasure. And just want to thank you for everything you do as a fellow podcast host. I know the amount of time and energy that goes into this, and I know you're doing this to put out value without any, uh, expectation for something in return. So just appreciate all the great content that you're putting out there to help other people. Sure. I, thank you. I appreciate you saying that. And I, the, the one thing I would like in return is if people can uh, like rate and review the show, we can get more great guests on like James. 
but thank you all for listening and, and thank you, James, for being on today. Hey there, I am Dr. Jason Ballara, and this is the Know Your Why podcast, where we explore the why behind success. Every week, I meet with real estate investors, veterinary entrepreneurs, mindset coaches, authors, and fitness professionals to uncover their why and how it drives them on the winding road to success. What is your why?